0: look out here and I see a lot of familiar faces, but some of you don't know who I am from Adam. Um, I actually used to be on staff at this church for 10 years, part-time. My main job was teaching at Chattanooga Christian School and retired just a couple years ago, so that's enough about me. To the Word, Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. We will read verses 1 through 11, Philippians chapter 1. Let us hear from God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from him, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let us pray. Father, give us insight into your word, speak to us. But we will only hear if you give us ears, so that may be true as well, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Is almost good enough for you? Is it okay to come close to succeeding, to finishing the task, but in the end, fail? Does it bother you to miss the goal just as long as you made a good show of it? My son Joseph, whom some of you know, participated in the sport in high school called cross-country. The essence of the sport requires you to run five or six kilometers depending upon the state that you live in over Hill and Dale, and if you are not in a state of near cardiac arrest by the time you finish, you have not run hard enough. In fact, cross-country athletes will sometimes say, our sport is your sport's punishment. Anyway, in in the school yearbook, uh, the team captain gave his personal assessment of one season and he said with a bit of humor and I don't remember his exact words but said this year I was able to reach one of my goals in life to finish runner up in the state finals second place we did not win the championship we wanted to win We tried to win, but we failed. Two markers of success, maybe that's not even the best word to use in this passage. Verse 11 speaks of being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. to the glory of God. Two things there. One, we want to see, what is success? What is Christian success? Seeing God glorified. And we want to see spiritual fruit. We want to see God's name exalted, his name praised, and in our better moments, that is the thing that we want most of all. Even above our own happiness and our own comfort. We want to see God glorified. And if God is glorified, what does it matter if I live life in obscurity or lack material resources or even die for the name of Christ? As long as God is glorified, that is success. Paul will put it later saying, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Second marker of success. And again, that may not even be the best word. Spiritual fruit. Paul calls it the fruit of righteousness. That is, we want, we want something to come from our efforts. We don't want to do all this work and have nothing to show for it. We want to see people reach for Jesus. We want to see lives change for the better. We want to see our lives change for the better. We want to grow in Christ. We do not want to see all our efforts come to nothing. Now glad we are, as Paul says here in this passage, that all this actually comes through Jesus Christ. And that is critical that we remember. It is His power that we rest upon. We ride upon His wings and live by His grace. Ultimately, He is the one who will accomplish the mission. And He is the one who will determine the particulars. The results are up to him. The very thing we want to see, the very thing that we think should happen, may in fact not happen. And he may do something completely different. But God will glorify himself, even if what we thought was the goal is in point of fact not reached. Well, it is for this reason that we are to pray Pray that God does his work in us so that he is glorified. Pray that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness in whatever form he may see fit to have that take. Pray that God be glorified. Paul tells us how. What's got to take place in order for those two items of success to take place? That God be glorified and that we be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Paul prays. He says, I pray, verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, there's a historical reason why Paul brings that up. The church at Philippi, with, with all the glowing words that were there at the beginning, actually, the church of Philippi was in a bit of a stew at the moment here. Uh, Paul is imprisoned in Rome, and uh, the Philippians are supporting him, and yet he has learned that there is shock of shocks. There is tension in the church. Who would have thought that Christian people would be at one another's throats here? The specifics are mentioned in chapter 4, and the primary characters are identified by name. I can't prove this. But my guess is somebody said something that somebody didn't like, and somebody's feelings were hurt, and they got back at them and back and forth and back and forth, and then people the people in the church started taking sides. And pretty soon this gets really, really serious and hot. And the church, which started out so well and was engaged in Paul's ministry, is about to implode. all coming to nothing what must happen to keep this from coming from from everything coming apart says paul says your love must abound now paul of course outlines the nature of love in first corinthians 13 In other places love is patient love is kind does not envy does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not easily anger keeps no Record of wrongs uh, takes no pleasure in evil. Rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And some of that memorized. Then Jesus says, "I want you, just as I have loved you, I want you to love one another." But here's the problem: knowledge of those verses is not enough. Being able to have those verses memorized, is not enough. The fact that I can actually technically define love biblically does not mean that I know how to express it in a particular situation. In fact, how easy it is for us to know something, but when in the moment comes, we forget everything that we know and we just react according to our emotions or whatever. We need more than theory, Paul says, more than knowledge of definitions. He says we need discernment to apply love in ways that fits our state of affairs at the moment. When do we need to be patient? We know we need to be patient. When do we need to be patient? When is mere kindness necessary? What does endurance look like in this situation? And when do we need to hold others accountable? When do we need to reprove and rebuke? Real love love speaks the truth, even when it hurts, calls for sacrifice. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Mere flattery, selfishness, deceit, trickery have no place here. We need to know how to apply that knowledge, that discernment in applying that to the situation that we are in. Two important points to be observed here. One, if we want to be loving people, and we need to be and should be reflecting Christ himself, if we want to be truly effective, if we want to bring glory to God, then we need to be steeped in the word to know really what love is and to have the discernment of the Spirit to apply that to the specific situation that we are wrestling with, and we need to not go by our feelings. Feelings will betray you. Only the word is our infallible source of truth. Only the word is essential to keep our actions guided from being guided by the world or our own needs and wants. Or the misguided influence of the other, as much is going on today under the guise of inclusiveness and acceptance, which is not love at all. It's not love at all. Not loving to encourage or to simply put up with sin. This is not love. This is selfishness, self-protectiveness. The word must be our guide. And sometimes we can signal our virtues by not being virtuous according to the word so we must be steeped in the word to know we can never know enough of what the word says about love and we need the spirit to help us to discern how love is to be expressed And and so my encouragement to you and this is part of what Paul calls upon you here pray for discernment even before these situations arise. Pray for discernment every day. Ask God to give you wisdom that when those occasions come in which I need to apply love to this situation, that I will know exactly how to do that. Because it is not enough to know the theory. It is not enough to have the passage memorized. It is not enough... To be able to give the definition, I need to know how to apply that. For example, I need to know how to be patient with others. I need to express kindness. I need to take no account of wrongs. But how is this applied to the situation that is in? He says you need knowledge and you need discernment. Sometimes patience can turn into license. You might claim to be kind when actually... We're just unwilling to confront something that is hard. You know that's true. We might think our actions are loving. (laughs) We can even justify it with a Bible verse. (laughs) And actually that's being misapplied to this situation. And my actions aren't really helpful at all. knowledge, discernment, Necessary in order to be filled with the fruit of righteousness to glorify God. Second, he says in verse 10, to approve what is excellent. My understanding of this phrase is that it is a step beyond discernment. That is, there is good. There is better, and then there is best. What is the best course of action to take? Other actions may be moral, but they may not be the most helpful. And again, I've got to pray for that before the situation actually comes. Lord, give me the discernment to determine what is excellent, to approve what is excellent. The best course of action. Now, to use, use a dumb illustration. So the other day, my everyday shoes fell apart. And the front part of my right shoe came loose from the main part and seemed to flap in the breeze like old glory <laughs> on the flagpole. I thought maybe. It'd be, and, you know, you, so, so what do you do in a case like that? Well, every Southerner knows you use duct tape and you try to. Well, that didn't That didn't last. That didn't last. So I go off to my favorite discount shoe store. I could not find anything that was exactly like my old pair. (laughs) The new shoe needed to be a little dressy, and yet also comfortable for everyday wear. The choice came down to two pairs. One was dressy, but I can't use that every day. Won't be comfortable. The other was great for physical activity, but I couldn't use it in the pulpit. Both shoes were adequate and both inadequate. What was the best choice? And so literally I prayed, what is the best choice? And then it came to me like a flash, like a voice from heaven. It wasn't an actual voice, but you know know how this works. And it was as if the Lord said, get both of them. They're both on sale. And when you're done, stop by Aldi and get some ice cream. He didn't say that last part. I think that was the flesh here. That silly story is just there's good, there's better than better. What's the best? We're, we're praying that God will not only direct us in what is a good choice, what is a moral choice, what is even a biblical choice, but what is the best choice. And that has to be asked for before the situation arrives. Should be my daily prayer lord help me to determine what is excellent that is what is the best choice to make here lord give me knowledge and discernment to make the best choice approve what is excellent my love should abound i must prove what is excellent third proving what is best will lead us as Paul says to being pure and blameless. Now here's a phrase which can make us things make us think of things that this phrase is not intending to communicate. It is not saying that by doing this we will therefore become sinless, that we will reach some state of perfection. We all know that as the Bible makes clear that this will not happen on this side of eternity. Only at the return of Jesus will we be made fully whole and all sin eradicated but the Bible does speak of being pure in a sense blessed are the pure in heart whatever things are pure dwell in these things Paul will later say in Philippians 4 and what he means by this is that my motives are unmixed genuine uncontaminated by my own desires my own sins my own wants when held up to the sunlight so to speak it is found to be pure, unpolluted, unmixed. If we do not know what real love is as defined by Scripture, and if we do not have the discernment as to how and when to apply this love, and if we are unable to judge what might be good enough as opposed to what is really best, then that end time will become clear. The motives of our hearts will be exposed. Indeed, we will be exposed. It will become obvious that the reason that we do what we do and say what we do actually has little or nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with me and what I want and my preferences here. It comes from a heart that is self-seeking. We want a reward. We want a pat on the back. We want to be acknowledged. I'll tell you one significant point in which we discover that our love is not pure is when it is tested when those other people are a pain in the neck when there is a cost the young young man says that he will climb the tallest mountain and swim all the oceans for his beloved Until he discovers that she doesn't share his love for sports, won't cook or doesn't know how to cook, and unlike mom, doesn't want to iron his clothes. The young miss longs to be a teacher, to mold and shape young lives to make a difference in the world until she discovers that many students don't care to be in her classroom, won't do their homework, act up in class, and draw naughty pictures in the textbooks. A young man feels called by God to pastor the sheep of God. And so three or four long years are spent in seminary, long hours of study, preparation, Hebrew, Greek, homiletics, church history, theology, one course after another, then the ordination exams. Finally a call. And he begins his ministry only to discover that not a few people are irregular in attendance Many who are there really don't care to be there. Some sleep through his sermons and the problems they bring to him. Oh, my. Oh, my. Now, my point in this is not to point fingers at pastors, teachers, or people in love, all of which applies to, to me. By the way, my wife does iron my shirts. Right here, Just want to be clear on that. But to remind us how sometimes our motives, (laughs) when tested, prove to be we're not as altruistic as we think we were. We're not pure. We're not blameless. And so we pray, Lord, purify my heart. Purify my heart. All this is connected with the idea of blameless, it's pure, pure and blameless. Blameless, which Paul mentions alongside of purity. The term blameless means not, again, not talking about sinlessness. The term blameless here means not giving an offense. We can do so because of our Bible-guided knowledge, our application guided by the word, our judgment by, led by the spirit for the best course of action, our motives tested by the word. Offense has several sides to it. Of course, you know this. Sometimes people have, as we say, thin skins. They take offense. They really didn't need to. Others take offense when we have the courage to actually speak the truth, and they don't want to hear it, right? And we should still speak the truth, and sometimes the truth offends must not stop us but that's not what Paul has in mind here what he refers to is the fact that we offended people because we did not use good judgment because we did not know the word because we're not guided by the spirit and so we said what we said it was not fitting it did not help it brought hurt is to this that Paul speaks The solution is the spirit-led knowledge guided by discernment, supported by the right motives, all coming from God. This will lead us to speak wise words which the proverb describes like apples of gold, settings of silver, valuable, fitting, beautiful, useful. At this point, I want to interject an application which is based upon my own life mistakes. And I speak to those of you in particular, and you know who you are, who are like me, who tend to speak too quickly, to act rashly, to talk without thinking about what it is that you're saying, even if we do so as we say, in jest, as a joke. You may have certain medical conditions of which this is a symptom. Words can fly out of your mouth in an attempt to be humorous, to be personal. We need to take care because quick words, thoughtless words, can hurt deeply. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Oh, really? Words can become like wrecking balls, tearing down people's feelings in giant swaths. I could give you more examples than I've got fingers and toes of occasions where in my life, where my tendency to shoot off at the mouth has hurt people. And that is what Paul is speaking to here in part. And at least once, I have been called out for this in a presbytery meeting, no less. My credibility was lost in a moment of rashness. Blameless, not giving offense because of thoughtlessness. And I was rebuked publicly, and I deserved it. Let us always examine our own minds and hearts before shooting off at the mouth. Lord, may my motives be pure, and rather than giving offense, may my words build up so that you are glorified, and my labors will prove to be fruitful. Well, to conclude... I know the Philippians church, uh, Paul said a lot of nice things about them, but in point of fact, as I pointed out earlier, the church was not in a good place. And so you see Paul kind of in a backhanded way saying, Philippians, your love is not abounding. You are not using discernment. You are not making good choices. Your motives are not pure. And you're hurting one another. And you're hurting the mission of Christ. May this never be true of us. My big takeaway to coin a phrase. Take these words right here. And make them. Part of your prayer life. Pray, Lord, may my love abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that I may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to your praise and glory. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the care that your word provides for us in giving us (laughs) and telling us exactly what it is that we need to say. May this be our prayer so that indeed we may be filled with the fruit of righteousness and you may be glorified for Jesus' sake.